Open to Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. Luke 13, verse 18 through 21. If you're a guest with us this morning, first let me say welcome. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us. And then I'll just let you know that we're currently studying the gospel of Luke. We've been studying it uh, section by section, paragraph by paragraph from the beginning. We'll do that till the end. And I'm picking up where Lloyd, one of our teaching pastors, left off last week in the middle of Luke chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples, they're on the road to Jerusalem, and Jesus has stopped off along the way, along the road to to preach, to teach in a synagogue on the Sabbath. He stops off along the way, and if you were here last week, you know that there's a woman in the room, a woman who is in the synagogue who has been sick for 18 years. The text says that she is literally bent over. She's doubled over at the waist, and she's been that way for those 18 long years. She cannot straighten up. And if you were here last week, you may remember Lloyd's illustration. He brought a volunteer up out of the service. He, he put him in a straitjacket, right, to, to reflect the bondage of this woman. And he had him stand up here and bent over at the waist for the entirety of his message. And of course, thanks to Lloyd, no one will ever volunteer for a sermon illustration <laughs> at Fellowship again, right? But the picture was a startling picture, wasn't it? Picture of brokenness, picture of bondage picture of a woman who had been that way for a very long time. And Jesus calls this woman up from from the back of the room and he has her come forward and he places his hand on her. And the text says that he sets her free. You see, he doesn't just heal her physically, he, he heals her spiritually as well. He restores her body, yes, but he redeems her broken and sinful heart. When, when she stands up, She is, in fact, a new person. Now, the synagogue official in the room, the one that's facilitating the services, the one that's in my role this morning, the pastor of the congregation, he he doesn't like what Jesus is doing. He's not pleased with it. Why? Well, because you're not supposed to heal someone on the Sabbath. Not, Not supposed to do that. No condition, no set of circumstances that, that warrants that kind of breaking the rules. Sabbath is a day of rest. Jesus, you've broken the rules. Woman, you should come back on another day. Of course, Jesus won't have any of it. He responds to this man and he rebukes him. He says to the synagogue official, the other religious leaders in the room, the opposition in the room, he looks at them and he tells them that they, in fact, are hypocrites for they're holding Jesus to a standard that they don't even keep themselves. And the passage reads that the opposition in the room is humiliated by what Jesus says. And the rest of the crowd, they're rejoicing by what Jesus has done. Rejoicing for the glorious work of Jesus in the life of the woman. Now the question is, what, why is that story so important today? Well, why is that context so significant? Well, it's because when we pick it up in verse 18, where we are today, Jesus is still speaking to the same crowd, still speaking to the same congregation. Same moment, same conversation. He turns from the woman, looks back at the congregation, and he teaches two parables about the kingdom of God. And the appropriate question is, is why would he do that? Why would he turn from this very personal interchange with a woman in bondage to, to, to the kingdom of God? And, and the answer is, is simply this. And we're actually going to come back to this question later. I'm going to have you hold on to it. But we'll just make this one observation right now. 
those two things are somehow and in some way connected. You see, what happens with the woman and the big grand picture of the size and scope and reach of the kingdom of God, they, they somehow in some way, they, they fit together. So I want you just to hold on to that thought. We're going to look at the text because I believe that if we listen closely to what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God, we will understand fully what's happening in the heart of the woman. And we will have perspective of the kingdom that will never leave us the same. So let's look at the text together. And I'm going to have you pick it up in, at the end of uh, the section last week, verse 17. And then we'll read our four verses for today. So look at verse 17 first of chapter 13 in Luke. As he said this, talking about Jesus, here it is. All his opponents were being humiliated. The entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Jesus turns to the congregations and he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Well, it's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. Two parables, two pictures that communicate a larger spiritual truth. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's start here. The, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. Okay, Here, kingdom of God, think rule of God. It's the rule of God in the heart of a person. And it's made available to us through the work of Jesus Christ. You see, we become subjects of the kingdom when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Recognizing that God the Father sent the Son to this world to establish the kingdom of God for whoever might believe in him. So, rule of God for those who believe in God and trust his son, Jesus Christ. That, that, that's the kingdom, rule of God in the hearts of people through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, a parable is what I said. It's just a, a simple story that illustrates a spiritual truth. So when you're reading through your Bible and you're in one of the gospels and you read a parable of Jesus, you're looking for the one big idea. Don't want to spend too much time on the characters in the story, not too much time on the details of the story. Just what's the main thought? What, what's the big idea? That's what we're looking for when Jesus teaches a parable. And here, Jesus teaches two parables that point to the same larger spiritual truth. The parables are paired. There's one about a man and there's one about a woman. And the people in the congregation would have understood these stories. People in the synagogue would, would know these stories. They're common, everyday, first century kinds of stories. In other words, there, there are lots of gardeners in the room. Lots of bakers in the room. So Jesus says, what's the kingdom of God like? Well, two things. Here's the first. It's like a mustard seed that gets planted in the garden and grows into a tree. That's what it's like. You know, mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds that a farmer would sow in ancient Israel. It, it's very small. Jesus has used this kind of an illustration before about a, a mustard seed. So they would know that proverbial, proverbially it was talking about, Jesus was talking about something that was tiny, that was minuscule, that gets planted in the ground and then grows. Its potential is great, but its beginning is small. 
In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it says that when it grows, this small seed becomes bigger than all the other garden plants. In other words, the size of the seed at its beginning is disproportionate to its size at the end. The end product is much larger. In fact, when Jesus quotes the Old Testament here and he says that the birds of the air would nest in its branches, he's talking about the global reach of the tree. Talking about the global reach to all parts of the earth that every tribe, tongue, and nation will rest in the provision and the protection of its branches. And such is the kingdom of God. What small, tiny, seemingly insignificant in the beginning will inevitably, in time, slowly, gradually, but surely become larger and larger such that it reaches into every corner of the earth. And, and that's the point of the parable, okay? That's the first. The, the second parable is about leaven. What's the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like leaven, which a woman hid in flour until it was all leaven. I mentioned this a moment ago. In the first century, uh, uh, baking bread would have been very common in every household. They get this story. Original here, they, they get this story right off the bat. It's, it's not hard for us to understand either. We've talked about leaven before. It's, it's a type of yeast, old fermented dough that's placed into new dough so that the bread will rise. And Jesus is talking about a big batch of dough here, a big, big batch of flour. It's, it's three sia, S-E-A-H, three sia of flour. That's three pecks, and it's the equivalent of five gallons today. This flour would have weighed about 50 pounds. It would have fed about 150 or 160 people. And it's hard to imagine, but it's true. It's hard for us to imagine that just a little pinch of yeast would make that many loaves of bread. But in fact, it does. You see, the leaven affects everything that it touches. It does. And what Jesus is describing here is, is, is important to us because he references the word all. In fact, that's the key word in the parable. Verse 21, the word all. If you mark in your Bible, you might circle that word. It's, it's the Greek word holos. Greek word holos, meaning all. And it's important in this way. What Jesus is saying is that nothing escapes the pervasive nature of the leaven. No, nothing escapes it. It will permeate everything. And, and what's interesting about leaven is that its working cannot be seen. It works silently, doesn't it? Imperceptibly. It works pervasively. And such is the kingdom of God. What starts small with the person of Jesus will eventually find its way throughout all of creation. It will reach every corner of the globe. See, there are two parables, two common everyday stories about Jewish life that point to the same bigger spiritual truth. What's the big idea? Well, the big idea is simply this. The kingdom of God is inevitable. That's it. It starts small, it grows big, and it reaches everywhere. That's what Jesus is saying. In the size of the seed and the leaven at the beginning compared to the size of the end product, they illustrate the point. What small becomes larger. Just a pinch influences everything. And so it is with the kingdom of God. It's inevitable, but it is a gradual process. 
You see, the full consummation of the kingdom of God will only come in time. And that's a problem, actually. It's a problem for every person in Israel. You see, they expected a kingdom that would be very different than that. That's not the kind of kingdom they were expecting. They were expecting a kingdom where God would send the Messiah, this person would come, this promised one would come to Israel and he would overthrow Roman occupation of Israel. It'd be a massive revolt. Oppression of Rome would, would leave, it would be overthrown and Israel would be restored to its rightful power and prominence as a nation. They expected a physical kingdom that would free them socially and politically and economically and they expected it to be big, really big from the very, very, very beginning. See, they expected a massive revolution. Jesus is over in the synagogue healing a woman. They look at what Jesus is doing and they look over at it and they go, he can't be the Messiah. Why? Because that's way too small. That's just one woman. And Jesus is looking back at them and he's saying, you've missed it. You've missed everything that you've been waiting centuries for. The kingdom of God is the rule of God in the heart of a person. It starts small. It's not a massive revolution. The kingdom doesn't come all at once. It starts small. Rule of God in the heart of people. And listen to me, it has everything to do with the woman. Everything. Why? Because her physical condition is a picture of her spiritual condition. Remember? You see, her, her brokenness and bondage, her, her doubled over at the waist is a picture of what's true about her heart. It's a picture of her own sin. And when Jesus frees her, he frees her spiritually. He frees her from her sinful condition. He offers her grace and forgiveness. He sets her free. He releases her from her bondage and from her hopelessness. And she does what? She submits to the rule of God in her life. How? She she believes him by faith. When he calls her from the back of the room, she steps out in faith and goes forward believing that he can, in fact, heal her. She demonstrates her belief by her action. She submits to the rule of God in her life. And when she stands up, the shackles of sin fall away. She is a subject of a new kingdom. She's a new person through Jesus Christ. And she's a part of the kingdom of God. You see, this is kingdom activity. The power and the presence and the reality of God's kingdom is manifest in the heart of the woman. Start small, one woman, and it grows one broken person at a time. You see, her physical condition, it's not just a picture of her spiritual condition. It's a picture of ours. We're we're broken, bound up. By the weight of sin in our own lives. We're bound with the weight of our own sinful condition. And we're only set free, set free from our sinful condition to to stand up by what? By the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, why are we talking about the woman? Why are we talking about the kingdom on Easter? Well, because what Jesus says about the kingdom... Everything that he says about the kingdom that is in his day and that is today and that will come is true 
And it's only true, it's only made possible by what Jesus Christ did on Easter morning. No resurrection, no kingdom. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We're false witnesses if we preach something that's not true. And if he didn't raise from the dead, then our preaching and our belief and our faith and all of it is just simply in vain. He goes on. Paul says, I tell you the truth. And this is of first importance. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again on the third day. And after that day, he appeared to Mary. He appeared to two of the disciples on the road to Galilee. He appeared to the twelve. He appeared to 500 followers at one time. He, he appeared to, to Cephas and others. He appeared to Thomas. And Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. And because I saw him with my own eyes after he had resurrected from the grave, I'm just going to tell you, I know for sure he is risen. Uh, about two weeks ago, I asked my six-year-old son, Wit, if he knew what the resurrection meant. I asked him if he knew about the resurrection of Jesus, death and life of Jesus. And he said, oh yeah, dad, sure do. And I said, well, great, enlighten me. And he said, he said super, yeah. He said, dad, it just means that, that Jesus jumped out of the grave. That, that's what it means. It's like, okay, you, like, you mean he rose from the grave, he came back to life? He was like, yeah, dad, all that's true. But I'm just telling you, when he came back to life, he jumped out of that grave. Who would want to stay in there? I'm like, dude, I am with you. That is awesome. Jesus jumped out of the grave. Why? Because the grave could not hold the Son of God. That's why. It couldn't. Power over victory and death. He jumped out of the grave because the grave could not hold the king of the kingdom. And in his death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, and in his resurrection from the grave, demonstrating his power and authority over that sin and death, he frees us from our spiritual condition just like the woman. See, the woman's a picture of the power of the resurrection. It's a picture of it, isn't it? She's bent over double and she stands up. When she stands up, the shackles of sin fall off. She believes she has faith in Christ and she'll never be the same. And I'll just say this, from that point in time on, for 2,000 years, people have been standing up, shackles of sin falling off, and they will continue to do so until Jesus comes again, which he most certainly will. During the service, there has been a tree behind me growing. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. It's been started small, but it's been growing larger. It's been spreading across the room. It's even reached the ceiling out here in front of me. What that tree represents will one day be the only thing that's still standing, only thing that matters, the only thing that lasts forever. It's growing today because people are still putting their faith in Jesus Christ. It grows in the hearts of people. It grows when a sinner is forgiven. It grows when someone who is broken is restored. It grows when someone who is in bondage is redeemed and set free. 
It grows when Jesus is proclaimed and believed, grows in the hearts of people. And hear me on this, the kingdom is not finished yet. It's not. See, all who believe, all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, however small that faith in Christ might be, however tiny that belief might be, they are a part of something that is way, way, way bigger and that will be fully consummated, it'll be fully realized when Jesus returns again. Revelation 11 says that on that day, the day of his second coming, the day of his return to this earth, There will be loud voices in heaven. Those loud voices will be saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he, Jesus Christ, will rule and reign forever and ever as the king of the kingdom. God's plan is advancing. His kingdom is coming. And it cannot be stopped. It's unstoppable. And if it's unstoppable, the question is, what are you going to do with the kingdom? What are you going to do with the kingdom of God in your own life? What are you going to do with the rule of God in your own heart? It's a question for the believer and the non-believer alike. It's, It's a question for all of us. Will you submit to God's rule in your life? He's inviting you to become a part of and to participate in his kingdom. Inviting us to get up into the tree and and to be covered by it. His provision, his protection, his care, his grace, his rest for us in the covering of the kingdom, the picture of the tree. It's to allow the branches of the tree to spread into every area of our lives, every aspect of our being. For some of us, it's, it's to believe for the first time. It's to join with all those who have come before us, those who were there in that day and those who recorded those eyewitness accounts for us by the power of the Spirit that we might read it to be true and know it to be true. It's to join all of them and all who have come since them and all today and, and believe. Believe what? Well, just simply believe that Jesus died for your sin. That he forgives you once and for all. He's the son of God that he rose from the grave and that he desires and invites you to spend eternity with him. And what starts small, it will grow. Even if there's some questions, even if there's some doubts, just a little belief will grow. That's the picture of the kingdom in the text. It's inevitable. It's unstoppable. The very fact that you're here today listening to the gospel message means that the kingdom is advancing. It's being proclaimed. And it transforms us into Christ-likeness one person at a time. The question for you is, will God become the ruler of your heart today? Will you submit your life to the king? The question for those of us who believe is is simply this, is, is will you turn over every aspect of your life to him? It's what he's inviting you to do to allow his kingdom, his rule, remember, to to spread to every part of us, to penetrate and permeate every part of our being, our, our mind, our will, our emotions, our affections, our decisions, our relationships, our marriages, our kids, our extended family, our friends. 
Our bodies, what we do with our service, what we do with our lives, our jobs, it's, it's every part of our lives will we submit to his agenda, his authority, his, his rule because of his goodness and his grace in our lives that we might experience more and more of him. It is to make his agenda the proclamation and the expansion of his kingdom our agenda. It's to allow that spread of his kingdom to effectively change us, to transform us. It's, it's what was small in the beginning that, to allow it to spread and to continue and to grow and to take new territory in our lives. See, Jesus promises when he sends the Holy Spirit, Ronnie mentioned this just a few moments ago, that the Spirit would be the Spirit of Christ and that the Holy Spirit will never stand still in our lives. He won't stop. Be faithful to complete the good work that Christ has begun in us when we believe. We know that to be true. We can look back over it in our lives. We can look back and see that growth, that expansion of the kingdom in our own hearts. We can look forward with confidence for what he will do. And we can be honest in a moment like this right now about areas in our lives where we know we need to turn over to him. We need to give them to him. Stop fighting him for kingship. There is only one king. And there is only one kingdom. It starts small. It grows large. And it cannot be stopped. So what? I want you to take a moment and just consider what the Spirit of God might be prompting you to do with this truth in your life. Is it to believe in him? Become a part of the kingdom? Or is it to submit to his rule in your life in some areas where you know you are holding on to control? I, I want to give you just a moment or two here to go before God privately and consider those two questions. Would you do that? Take just a minute. I'm going to pray two prayers. The first is for those who would like to place their trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus just invites you to tell, tell him what's true about your life. It might sound something like the words I'm about to pray. If you'd like to join me in those words, you're welcome to do that. Or you can make those words your own. So I'll pray that way. And then I'll pause for a moment and then pray for all of us in a similar way. So let's start there and pray this prayer of salvation that God might invade your life in a very powerful way. And so would you join me in that, God? Recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that you died for me, that you offer me forgiveness once and for all. And I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rose from the grave, and I want to follow him. God, would you help me in my belief? Would you help it to grow? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If that's true for you, if that's the picture of your heart this morning, I just encourage you to share that with somebody that you know who's a believer. Tell them that you trusted Christ and that you want to know what to do next. What does it look like to begin to grow in your faith? Ask them to help you in that. 
For those of us who are believers and we do desire that the kingdom of God would spread to every corner of our bodies, every corner of our being, that we might submit to his rule and authority in every little decision of every little day, that we would grow in that, never perfect, but that we become more like him. His kingdom spread would find new territory and new parts of our lives. You, you might just join me in this prayer. This is a prayer that I've prayed often for, for myself. You might make these words your own as I pray. Would you join me in that? Father, I recognize there are places in my life I don't want to let go of. Places where I feel like I'm in control and where I like feeling like I'm in control. Places I don't want you to change me. Places I don't want you to touch. Places even that I'm stuck. And I need you to help me let go of reliance upon myself let go of what other people think, let go of my own selfishness and pride and trust you. I want to be about your kingdom. I want to be under your authority in every area of my life. And I need your help. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.